Welcome to your digital reputation. Here's your host, Roger Christie. Hello, and thanks for joining us. My name's Roger Christie, founder of digital reputation advisory firm Propel. And today, we're going to unpack the question, how do you help leaders take their first steps online? And as the saying goes, the first step is always the hardest. Just ask a toddler or anyone working in change management. And when it comes to guiding leaders through those initial stages of participating personally and purposefully online, things don't get any easier. And I think with good reason too. I mean, consider this, for almost two decades now, Leaders across the public and private spectrum have been fed this seemingly endless stream of sensational social media horror story after horror story via mainstream media. They rarely hear the success stories and people getting it right. That's far less interesting. So instead, all they read about is epic leadership fails or employee activism, trolling, gaffes, pylons. And when you look at it that way, communication certainly seemed simpler and, and reputation far more controllable before social media came along. So with, with that as a backdrop, how can you make a compelling case for leaders to take the plunge and get on social media themselves? How do you draw their attention away from the risks to show it is in fact a huge opportunity? Well, we're joined on the podcast today by someone who knows that challenge and how to succeed all too well, having been at the forefront of government social media in Australia for over a decade now, making that case to leaders. She was instrumental in the then Department of Human Services first forays into social media at both the brand and leadership level, and she's been a key industry figure in the broader digital communications landscape as co-founder of the Government Digital Leaders Network and past president of Canberra's IABC chapter. She also happens to be one of the loveliest people you'll meet, and I'm incredibly thankful she's here to share her insights with you all today. So Amanda Dennett, thank you so much for joining us on Your Digital Reputation. Oh, that's so kind. Thanks very much for having me. I'm excited to be able to chat. Likewise, likewise. Now, let's get straight into it. I know you've got oodles of experience in this space. So in your perspective, how do you help leaders take their first steps online? I think for communication professionals supporting any leader to jump into social media uh, and use it for work um, and to build their online brand and to help build your organization's reputation, the, the first thing I do is ask them what help they need um, because the people that you're working with are going to really vary in terms of their experience using social media, their comfort level, um, and their understanding and experience of communication strategy. So uh, in practice, I've had to help leaders come up with a whole strategy for how they're going to use social media, educating them on that, um, right down to the details of getting the Twitter app on their phone, logging in, helping them kind of work out who to work out who to follow. Um, you know, what does it mean to kind of favorite something, um, who to retweet and who not to retweet. So really, um, you know, that question is so specific to the individual that you're going to be supporting. So I think start off with a question, um, what is your comfort level? What are you hoping to achieve? And then um, tailor your support to match that. I love that. So it's, it's really understanding the person that, that you're um, going to ultimately help guide on this journey. Within that, Amanda, who, who instigates that? Because it sounds like what you're describing there is 
they've come to you with a question and you've then gone back out to help them. And then, as you said, that understanding is really important. Is it appropriate ever to, you know, politely or gently nudge? Or if you, as you say, if you know that leader well, give them a real firm elbow. What, what can you do to try and start that discussion if it's not already happening? Yeah, I, I think both are appropriate. So, you know, hopefully a leader of your organisation who's thinking about using social media to engage and perhaps maybe they're, you know, they're new to an organisation. So you're starting somewhere different and you're thinking, how am I going to use my accounts to, you know, align with my new workplace? So hopefully that instigates a conversation with the comms professionals in that organisation. And that can be a really collaborative one, you know, not them telling you what to do, but instead, you know, how can you work together and how can they support you with content and ideas um, and also help you to steer clear of uh, issues that might, you know, cause you some some grief. Uh, but also, you know, I would hope that as communication professionals, we we would be able to reach out and offer some help. So it's, it's definitely been the case for me that I've worked in teams and, you know, all of a sudden um, a leader from an organisation has popped up on Twitter unexpectedly, or, uh, you know, shared something on LinkedIn and you think, wow, we didn't really know that they were active on social. And so that can begin a chat about helping to equip them with what they need to be a success, but also, um, just laying that foundation of, you know, what are the policies that are in place? What are the potential risks and, and helping them? And most leaders are really open to that sort of advice. Very good. So if we can go back to, I'm keen to unpack, I suppose, what I would, well, certainly what I'm aware of is one of your early experiences in this sort of dialogue, in these sorts of um, conversations and teasing out the opportunity for leaders. We can go back to those early DHS days. And I'm assuming that what would have been a fairly groundbreaking case for leaders at the time, it wouldn't be the norm. And even if it is the norm today, that was some years ago. That was around 2010. Is that right? Have I got the time right? Yeah. And I think it's worth, before we, we do do that, yeah. you know, it's worth quickly reminding people what the world looked like then, because it's actually quite different. I had, I had a bit of a look myself. So um, the social media audience in Australia was less than half what it is today. Mobile phone usage of social media was at 26% of users. 26, a quarter of people were using social media, accessing it on their smartphones. And finally, and I love this stat in particular um, for the LinkedIn reference before, LinkedIn users on average spent a grand total of eight precious minutes on the platform each month, eight minutes every month. So the online world looked dramatically different then to today. So you talked about, you know, the need to guide leaders through strategy. What what was your proposed strategy back then and, and how did you sell social media to your superiors? Very early on, it was simply a matter of jumping in to claim accounts on social media channels that, that had our name. And, you know, uh, I was still learning at the time, so was our leadership uh, and the rest of the team about, you know, what would using social media mean for the agency at the time. And so it, it was really important to stake a claim. And, you know, I suggest any any person, any individual, whether it's your name or your agency's name, if you haven't done some of that work, then um, jump in and do that um, and claim accounts with your name so that, that you own those. Um, and so that's really how it began. It was quick, you know, let's jump in before others do. Um, at the time, it was the Department of Human Services and the Australian Taxation Office were the two 
key leaders uh, and beginning to use social media to share messages. And like others, we really did begin with broadcast. So emulating some of the media messaging that would go out uh, through on social media. And that's sort of a tried and true way that many began. Uh, and so to sell that in, it was really uh, talking to leadership about uh, this new opportunity, that there wasn't a growing audience there that we needed to, at a minimum, listen to and understand what was being said. Uh, and I really tried to align that with the department's existing media management approach, which was, you know, media monitoring and all government agencies and, you know, big organisations, uh, private sector organisations in Australia um, do active media monitoring. So you want to know what is being said about you in the media. And it was the same with social media. So we really adapted that approach and being able to expand an existing policy made that much easier. Uh, and similarly, the organisation had quite a strong um, talkback radio strategy and relationship. So uh, our general manager and spokesperson, Hank Jongen, uh, for Centrelink issues would go on Talkback Radio and answer people's questions about their payments and services, address difficult questions up front. And so again, it was, it was saying to leadership, that model will work online as well. Um, you know, with some tweaks, we need to be there to hear people. Um, and it's the, it's, the new talkback radio, essentially. Uh, and so we had some success by um, aligning those two approaches. I like that, Amanda. And there's, there's a lot of parallels between what you're saying right at the start in terms of understanding your leader. It sounds like there's as much um, uh, knowledge and context required to understand your stakeholders, your broader stakeholders, and, and what's going to resonate with them in terms of that talkback radio analogy. This is the world you're familiar with. Let me explain to you how this new world, from your perspective, isn't actually that dissimilar. So you're, you're almost, it sounds like, removing those scary and, and unknown barriers straight away by drawing parallels and similarities with the world that they know. That was the idea, yeah. And it, it, look, it was successful and I think one that's still relevant for people today. Excellent. So you mentioned Hank there. As a, as a key figure in those, as part of that broader program, I'm keen to understand, you know, what did he need back then to feel comfortable and confident online? You, you touched on some of those in your early comments, some of those basic steps like getting the app on your mobile phone, for example. What was in your toolkit to build trust for continued investment in him, but also from him and other senior figures? It required a fair bit of planning from a team perspective, and I do encourage people to to still do that homework. So, you know, back then we really didn't know as much about social media and how to use it. It was a learning process, as as I said, and you know, today we're much more comfortable with it because we use it ourselves, uh, you know, as part of our social lives, and so there's an inherent understanding as comms professionals about how those channels work, but it, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't do your homework in terms of, you know, what preparation and support do you need to provide to leaders who are going to jump into this space? So it, it is understanding what, uh, what key issues will your spokesperson or leader address online and what will the team address and what accounts will those occur from? So if you've got a key leader or spokesperson, you know, what issues will they address and how will that happen? When will they do that? And when will they need to refer that, um, a potential message to the team and, you know, perhaps tag, um, tag another account. So, you know, they'll answer your question and, um, you know, 
I don't think anyone in this day and age expects uh, the head of an organization to respond to all queries online. You know, we know that they're really busy people addressing uh, and leading uh, all sorts of big issues. And so um, it is entirely appropriate to kind of have those two streams running simultaneously. So I think reducing ambiguity about who will do what and when empowers a leader to take the running on key issues uh, and to engage more clearly. As well, I, I think, you know, supporting leaders with uh, some of the, the um, tools and support that we would give to them for a media interview. So, you know, if an organisation is going to make an announcement that is shared on social media, equipping your leader with some background materials and talking points on that issue so that they're across it and they're not surprised by queries on social media. And, and that's what we would do for a media interview. So, again, some of those parallels you know, it, it all translate to, translates to social media also. And the world back then was quite different in terms of the volume and, and certainly the speed with which things moved online. So I imagine that if you, if you take that very planned or methodical approach and, and you remove ambiguity, as you were saying, you, you give leaders a lot more confidence. How do you feel that translates into the, the you know, if I can call it the post-COVID world, so to speak, and how that's dramatically changed uh, user behaviours and expectations on leaders? You know, that there perhaps isn't the luxury of time that there once was, um, but at the same time, leaders still need to feel com- comfortable and confident and perhaps even more so because of how quickly things are moving around them. So how do you counsel leaders today? What what are some of the, the key selling points for social and and perhaps where should they start if that's different to where things were 10 or 12 years ago? I do think that uh, when it comes to how to start out, um, that leaders would would simply benefit from some sort of personal reflection on what their level of comfort with engagement is. And that is going to vary for everyone. And it's okay that it varies. Um, Some people are going to want to weigh in on social issues more heavily. They feel um, confident to do that. And it's something that they probably do in their personal lives as well. And they've got a level of comfort doing that in a professional setting while remaining apolitical, you know, if they're a a public sector employee, um, you know, or making sure that it doesn't bring their organization into disrepute if they're a, a private sector employee as well. So I think some of that is really important because if you're someone who doesn't do that by nature and doesn't want to stand out um, too much, put your head up too much on social media, you know, that is valid. Uh, and especially when you're starting out, it's okay to um, pare things back a little bit. So I think knowing your own limits uh, is really important. Um, in terms of how the world has changed, I, I think there is certainly just greater visibility of leaders, particularly those in the public sector. Previously, we we would not have any window into who is leading various government branches and divisions across the Australian public service, state government, and even local government. You would know your councillors, but not really anyone else working in government. And today, with a quick Google search, you can find pretty much anyone online and have a direct window uh, of access to them. So that is a a significant layer of pressure for public servants who, you know, are often implementing government policy, not necessarily coming up with that policy, uh, but being accountable to, uh, for its delivery. And that accountability and transparency is one of the key strengths 
and exciting features of social media is that, you know, we do have the ability to see how people work, to hold them to account, to uh, ask direct questions and sometimes really difficult questions of leaders. Um, But it's also uh, pretty scary for leaders to kind of delve into that environment without um, training if they haven't, uh, if it's not something that they've been exposed to before. So Amanda, one of the other things I should uh, point out to listeners, I suppose, is that you've actually spent a fair bit of time researching what makes social media teams successful uh, in recent years. So one of the things I'm interested to know from that research is how important is leadership participation to that overall social media success? You know, we're talking about um, one of the things we talk to our clients about is um, whether you're active online or not, you're visible. That Google example that you mentioned just now, it's the same sort of thinking. So what do organisations stand to gain when leaders are involved and, and perhaps what do they lose when leaders keep their distance based on your research? So uh, I, I did spend a couple of years researching social media and it, it's uh, the, the best practice operations of social media teams in the Australian public service. And I looked at case studies from the Australian Taxation Office and Department of Human Services, along with a survey that I ran of public sector social media workers to find out about team processes, operations and how they are operating at best practice today. Uh, Some of the findings were really interesting around the importance of leadership on the success um, or perhaps uh, uh, non-success of uh, social media teams. And it was really clear in conversations with uh, some of the case study interview participants that I did that there was executive support for their social media work. And that really has to be um, one of the success factors that we can attribute to the Department of Human Services and ATO, that there is a comfort level amongst the executive about engaging with social media, a recognition that it is a, a, a key source of information about potential issues that uh, help the agency to identify early and potentially fix issues. So, you know, an example might be that their online system is isn't working very well, um, you know, perhaps it's down for a short period of time and the first place that an agency might hear about it is through Twitter. So being able to get that information early and rectify it before it becomes, you know, a media issue because it's been down for hours is something that's really uh, effective for agencies and and really helps show a benefit for using social media. So uh, those agencies uh, provide really good examples of how much you can do when you've got leaders who understand um, those potential benefits of social media. Uh, in contrast, there were responses from social media workers who, uh, you know, said that that they don't have that same level of executive support. Um, perhaps they're in a smaller agency or have leaders with limited personal experience of social media. And so they described an environment of having to do repeated work to sell in Um, some of the social media work that they were trying to do. So rather than an inherent understanding that we're using it in these ways to engage with these audiences, it was a need to revisit that each time in order to get a new piece of content or a new campaign over the line. So that was a much more difficult uh, environment for people to do uh, regular and more engaging work. And, you know, we spoke earlier about that um, real real-time engagement that is necessary for social media. And so those workers were less able to operate in that way. 
so there is a lot to gain from agencies being involved in social media, particularly when leaders uh, are comfortable to step in themselves. That provides uh, really an environment for uh, teams to pitch new ideas that might be a bit left of centre and have leadership who inherently have a greater understanding of what the opportunity might be and a comfort level to take it to their executive uh, colleagues and say, we want to give this a go for this reason and here are the potential risks, but here's what could go right. And they had a greater chance of, of success. So having an executive champion was something that that came out clearly as a benefit to teams, but also a benefit to, to agencies. What, one of the questions you're making me think about, Amanda, is you know, you, you, you stressed earlier the importance of understanding your stakeholders and trust. And, and what I'm hearing through some of those responses you're sharing is perhaps a sense of frustration and stagnation uh, that things either can't get through or you're constantly making the case. In, in your view, do you feel like, and maybe there's no black and white answer here, I'm sure it's not the case, but do you feel like it's better for organisations to draw on deep understanding of the organization itself, its operations, its um, its people, its teams, or is it actually better to, to have someone come in fresh without that context, but to have deep domain expertise who can then lead people who may have been resistant previously? It just sounds like there's a bit of a tension here. I'm wondering, do you have a view on who's best placed to try and kickstart any kind of leadership participation? That is a tricky question because uh, I think it is an age-old question about, you know, do we value more, um, you know, the relationships and expertise from within or do we need to get outside support to um, get new projects or new ideas over the line? And the answer, truthfully, is probably a bit of both. Um, you know, I, I do think that teams uh, and particularly communication teams become more high-performing when there are challenging views, when not everyone has the same idea when people can pitch, you know, different different uh, concepts, perhaps some that are a bit out there, um, and then the experience of others might rein that into something that's actually appropriate. So, um, you know, I think both can be a benefit, no matter whether it's, um, you know, an insider that that does have deep corporate knowledge or someone external who who joins a team with new ideas. Building relationships and trust is key, and I, I think that you do that by trying to understand what pain points are for the business and how as a communication professional, no matter what your channel, um, how you can assist with that. And some of the solutions that you might present include, uh, you know, social media and other uh, communication support, as well as some mentoring and and training for leaders to use social media themselves. Um, And I think being able to align that with um, an organization's digital reputation along with individual leaders' uh, digital reputations online um, is a way to get, uh, you know, a successful outcome. But th- that trust piece is essential. Yeah, that, that's a really good point. Um, one of the other things that, and I know you shared the research with me previously, so I've been fortunate enough to have a look at that um, and, and would encourage others to do so too. We might include a link in the show notes. One of the other things that came through was around that idea of good judgment 
as being a key skill. So you talk about trust. I completely agree with you on that one. And trust isn't about selling social. It's not ramming it down people's throats. As you said, it's about understanding what their needs are, what they stand to gain and what they stand to lose. And and potentially social media becomes uh, one of the solutions. So yeah, could you talk a little bit more about this idea of good judgment being another key skill that um, that is important in the world of social media? And I think particularly for leaders, if they're new to this space, how do you, you know, how do you develop good judgment in the context of the online world that is often fast moving, sometimes quite critical? How do you exercise good judgment? How can you build that to avoid reputational risk? It's a really interesting one because I think that judgment is a, a, a bit nature, a bit nurture. So I think that there are people around us who do inherently have, you know, better judgment than others. And, um, you know, that's for, for, uh, you know, an anthropologist or a psychologist, um, far more intelligent than me to, to delve into. But, uh, I do think that there is an element of, um, perhaps maturity and judgment that, that some individuals might have over others. Um, but it, it is also a learned skill in the, t- in the context of, uh, work and communication management and strategy. And it's something that teams don't often focus on, um, that we expect people to build as a result of, their work. Um, and it is something that you can build over time. The more that you deal with issues, the more of an understanding you have of, um, you know, how that's bubbling and how to identify it early. But I do think it's something that teams could focus on more is perhaps running exercises to help people, um, you know, scenario-based, um, crisis management type, um, uh, scenarios and, and training that would help people build, their, their judgment and kind of flex that muscle. For leaders, I, I think similarly, you know, they might have excellent judgment in their area of expertise. And, you know, if they look after a certain program or, or service area, you know, that knowledge that they have does uh, really ensure that they've got strong judgment in those areas and they're able to be decisive and, you know, lead their teams towards shared goals. So I suppose it's about approaching social media in a similar way, doing some homework, becoming a bit more of an expert in using social media and understanding it in a more in-depth way so that you can build that judgment and flex that muscle. I, I don't think that you can uh, step in and inherently understand, um, you know, what that operating environment is like without without doing some of that work. Um, so it, it was interesting to me in my research that one of the top skills that managers identified, um, the, you know, the managers of social media teams identified was that judgment uh, is a key skill that they want in staff members. And often, you know, we think that, you know, we want people who understand social media platforms, you know, if they don't know how to use TikTok, why would they work in a social media team? But the uh, the feedback from managers was, we can teach people how to use TikTok and teach them how to use Facebook and, you know, even help them to become better writers. But if they don't have that judgment, um, then it's not a good starting point for someone to work in that kind of team. So that was an interesting finding. Absolutely. And and, and the lack of judgment can certainly lead to examples that you'd rather not see. But (laughs) we we, we do like to, on this podcast, highlight some of the best examples, some of those, uh, you know, those people who are leading from the front and setting a good example. And perhaps, you know, the conversation here could be slightly different, I suppose, in the sense that we are talking about people taking their first steps. So, 
Um, have you seen in, in your world, and I do know you keep a, a keen eye across a whole range of, of different channels and uh, examples around the globe even. Um, I don't know how you do it, but you do. Have you seen any examples of, of people who might be early on in their journey, leaders across either the public or private sector, which we could point people towards listeners um, to have a look at to inform their own efforts if they're in the early stages? Look, it's a tricky one because, you know, I think some some people in the early stages of their leadership career, um, you know, I think that there is potentially an increased pressure to, um, you know, not not do anything too outrageous uh, as you're starting out. And, uh, you know, I think that that's quite valid. You know, we need to be authentic online and to be ourselves. But, you know, probably as professionals, there is a bit of a veneer of professionalism that that we would bring, um, you know, certain things that you don't mention online, you know, uh, you're not going to sort of um, Instagram your breakfast on your work account simply because, you know, you're presenting a different face there. And, and so that's, um, you know, can make it difficult to identify people. There, there are some, I don't sort of want to throw any names out there too much to shine a light, but what I have noticed, I think, is increasingly people using LinkedIn really effectively as they're making a move from a technical leadership role into a more strategic and organisational leadership role. And it's funny you mentioned the the LinkedIn um you know, stats earlier on. And, you know, I'm a big LinkedIn fan now. I really love it for, you know, finding access to information. And it it takes a lot of, it does a lot of the work for me in terms of, you know, finding content that's relevant to me and that I'm interested in. But people have begun using that really effectively to present themselves, not as they are now, but how they want to be in that next step. Uh, and they're doing that by, uh, sharing some of their thought leadership articles. So, you know, on their area of expertise, they're saying, this is what I know and I want to share it with you. And they're also using it really effectively to shine a light on people that are in their team. So taking the focus off them and instead saying, here are people uh, around me doing great things and I want to showcase that. And by doing that really effectively, they're, I think presenting themselves online as the uh, in a way that they they want to be as that next step, not the way that they are now. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I think that that some of that work is is really effective. Um, and I'd welcome people sort of sharing their tips with me online as well if they want to find me on Twitter or LinkedIn. Um, yeah, I'd love to hear other people's good examples as well. Absolutely. And I know you do keep a close eye on a lot of agencies around the world and see what they're doing, um, particularly on Twitter. As you say, I know you're one of the very early adopters on Twitter and making the move across to LinkedIn. So maybe people could keep an eye on Amanda Dennett's use of LinkedIn <laughs> as someone who's <laughs> expanding their effort and use. What One name I would throw into the mix there, and it's something I just happened to stumble across the other day, uh, is a fellow called Roy Banks. And, and the reason I came across his profile. He's actually a CEO uh, of an organization called Weave HQ uh, in the US. And, and the reason I came across it, he'd actually written a piece in Forbes, which was him talking about his experiences going from what seemed to be a fairly dormant uh, approach to social media, passively sitting there. And, and uh, imagine what a lot of people do do, not really taking a lot of time and energy and purpose to his efforts online. Um, and he actually made a decision to be much more purposeful uh, a couple of months ago. 
and he mapped that journey. He just shared his experience of being more purposeful online and how that had um, uh, been such a huge change, a positive change for him in terms of what he'd learned about stakeholders, about customers, and how he'd been able to have a voice for others who couldn't and harnessing that leadership platform that he had um, to, to drive or push the agenda on issues that he felt were important. So if nothing else, I encourage people to go and have a look at Roy Banks on LinkedIn and see how he's done it and definitely read that article. Now, if we can try and, Amanda, sum up, I suppose, in, in you know the years of experience that you've had, what, what two or three things, if you were going to advise uh, those people advising or guiding leaders themselves, those communications or reputation stakeholders. Can you try to distill your experience into two or three things that that simply must be part of their approach to make those leaders' first steps successful and sustainable? I think the the number one is um, to begin with an audit. So, you know, you can't always rely on a leader or stakeholder that you're working with to do that work themselves. If if some of this digital work and um, use, use of social media doesn't come naturally to them, then do an audit for them. Find out what they look like online and present a bit of a summary. So this is the current state and here are some of the ways that we can assist you with that. So we can bring some consistency in your bio, in your um, photos and, you know, start to professionalize that presence as well. That will help understand uh, what accounts they have that are currently public versus private and what they want that mix to be like. And that's a really important discussion for any comms professional to have with a, a leader that they're advising is, you know, what's professional and what's private and, um, you know, helping equip them with strategies to deal with, uh, queries that might come through, through both, uh, channels. Um, also, I would suggest finding examples of people that resonate with a leader. And so it, it can either be you doing that work for them or tasking them with that work. So whether it's business leaders, um, you know, in the media or in their personal lives or uh, in their social media use, who do you, who resonates with you? Who do you look to and go, wow, I really like the way that they present I like the way that they uh, use social media to engage or conversely, you know, who, who can't you stand? Um, who really kind of, you know, ruffles your feathers in terms of their social media use. And I think that that will help a leader to narrow down where they want to be with it in their own approach. So just finding someone who, um, you know, uh, gives you some of that inspiration for how you will operate. And it can be difficult to know where to begin, but I think finding those examples to help guide you is a good tip. And finally, I would say to comms professionals, you know, prep what you can to help people uh, jump in and begin the work. So it might be some suggested content ideas and it doesn't mean that you have to write it for them necessarily. And, you know, a whole separate conversation is, you know, authentic voice for leaders in in social media and um, and how they can find that in practice. But some suggested content either on their area of expertise. So it can be a really narrow focus. If they are experts in one field, then help them to stay on that track. Don't feel like you have to comment on everything else. You know, you can stay in that niche for a while. Or uh, perhaps this, the suggested approach could be that they do use social media to shine a light on others. So if they're a generalist manager and they're not an expert in any given area, then use it to, to pump up your team or 
uh, showcase great service that's been provided to someone who is in real need. Or, you know, if, if you are dealing with customers or, you know, schools or, you know, how can you showcase the great work of a, a teacher at a school and, um, you know, yeah, give them that kudos and recognition that they deserve in a way that might make a leader feel more comfortable to begin than if they had to talk about themselves. I like that. And I particularly like that second point too, which I think is something that's often lost, that looking at what you like, but also looking at what you don't like and and not just looking at it and being <laughs> put off by it. As I know a lot of people say, the reason I'm not on social media is because of person X or because of this type of person. I think, as you said, looking at both of those uh, examples or extremes even on the spectrum and using that to help inform where you feel comfortable, where, what you would like your voice to be is so important. So Amanda, people can go and find these examples online, which is great advice as, as you say. Where can they find you? What's the best way to find you online, uh, particularly if people have got questions or encouragements from what they've heard today? Uh Please find me on LinkedIn, Amanda Dennett. It's like Bennett, but with a D is how I have to explain it to everyone. So please jump on and and, um, add me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Twitter as well uh, if you search for me. Uh, I've also just launched a new website that people might be interested in. It's called publicsectorcommunicator.com. And it's a place where uh, I'm sharing blog posts and ideas and inspiration on excellence in government communication. And it's something I found myself reading about, watching videos, listening to podcasts, trying to educate myself about how to improve the government communications I do. And I thought others might be interested too. So uh, please search that if you're if you're keen to connect and um, there's a Twitter account there as well. So uh, jump on and let me know what you think. You are a living, breathing case study of social media success, which is fantastic. I love the amount of time and effort you put into curating and sharing those ideas. And I know one of the other places is people can obviously keep an eye out on the GovComs Institute blog for your thoughts and ideas there as well. So um, thank you for all the work you do. And thank you so much for joining us today on your digital reputation. Thanks for the chat. Thanks again for listening. If you've learned something from today's conversation, please subscribe, leave a review and share it with others. For all show notes, head to propelgroup.com.au. Thanks again for listening.